Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! Hi, this is David. And this is Shlomi. And you've tuned into Left to Our Own Devices, the product security podcast. Really excited about this one. So our guest today is Bindu Sundarisan of AT&T Cybersecurity. Bindu is currently responsible for growing the security consulting competencies and integration with the AT&T services and product offerings. She has worked to establish enterprise vision strategies and programs for Fortune 50 companies to ensure the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of information assets, thus protecting and enhancing multi-million, billion-dollar revenue streams. Bindu, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Very excited about this. Yeah, we're really excited as well. So we're really interested, you know, with starting off with uh, a personal question. So how did your journey unfold, taking you from Chennai in southern India to become a respected leader in the field of cybersecurity, receiving peer-reviewed awards and assuming the role of director at AT&T Cybersecurity? Yeah, thank you for that. You know, so I started off, so I was always interested in math. I loved problem solving. I grew up in a household where I was encouraged to pursue what was called, you know, not so feminine fields, and it was okay. And uh, I really took up electrical engineering for my bachelor's. And uh, I, you know, sort of wanted something challenging, but something that is not just programming, because that was the norm. Most Indians of that generation started off with a computer science or software engineering. Um, So I took up electrical engineering just for making it challenging for myself. I sort of thrived in the thrill of finding solutions to problems, explaining technical concepts to a non-technical audience, And uh, when I finished engineering, I wanted to really focus on network and, you know, overall sort of network security, data security. It was a field that was rather new uh, in, you know, sort of the late 1990s, early 2000s. I chanced upon a book uh, called The Cuckoo's Egg. I know the name sounds weird, uh, but it was one of those books that really, you know, turned me on to pursue this field. It was it was it was a novel idea when I went up to my parents and said, you know, I'd like to really pursue network security and data security. Nobody had really heard of that being sort of a mainstream, you know, profession to go pick up. And when I looked at uh, you know opportunities in India for that, it was a little slim because uh, networking as a concept itself was just starting to thrive there. So network security was a little you know beyond reach at that point. So I found a school, a state university of New York here, where I, you know, pursued a master's in telecommunications and information networking. And I started off, you know, working on a project for, at that point, what was KPMG, uh, on a project around criminal justice information sharing systems. 
And the focus was really network and, you know, being able to set up a network, integrate, focus on availability of information. Up until the phase of testing, when one of the users brought up the question, so what if this information fell into the wrong hands? We were all focused on the transmission of information, availability of that information, but not so much the confidentiality and the integrity aspect of it until we got to that point of testing use cases. That drew me you know, to this idea that yeah, you know, technology is great. Connectivity is awesome. We need it. But somewhere along the line, we were doing security and testing for security later on in the life cycle of a project versus early on, right? So when we would take functional requirements, that concept of security by design was not a default approach. And that's when, you know, we started to see a lot of compliance regulations around information protection. And, you know, this field is one of those where if you talk to anybody in cybersecurity and look at, you know, what their past has been, they would come from various, you know, different fields, uh, IT and non-IT related. But for me, because I'd started off in sort of network engineering and network security, that transition into focusing mainly on cyber was sort of a natural, you know, fit. So that's how, you know, I started pursuing sort of uh, solely cybersecurity, you know, on all my projects. And I really was interested in sort of the problem solving, as well as making sure that we don't treat sort of cyber as a technology problem, right? I think fundamentally, this is a human safety challenge. It is a risk management challenge. And it's not just an IT problem that is left for somebody to solve. And that's, I think, what drew me into consulting, the ability for taking cybersecurity, which is like a horizontal play, if you think about it. It's applicable to all types of industries, to all types of customers, and it is relevant for the bottom line. It is not just you know a nice to have, it is a must have. And it's something that has kept me engaged for the last 22 plus years. I feel like it's a new job uh, almost you know, every three months where you're trying to solve a different problem. You're trying to look at you know, uh, the complexities of operations and how cybersecurity plays a role in helping generate revenue, protect revenue streams, and how it's fundamental to who we are as a society today, right? Because it's ingrained like this morning, I'm sure most of us, you know, woke up to an Alexa reminding us for something, you know, we used, uh, you know, a navigation system. We have, you know, post COVID, most of our shopping is through an app, right? Uh, You know, I pay all of my bills online. The fact that it is so ingrained into our society today and how we live, makes it even more important that it be part of the solution and not a problem. Absolutely. So that's how the journey started. (laughs) Yeah. Incredible. And I have to tell you that I have a very parallel journey as yours. I went to university in New York. And when I came out of university, when I was finishing up, they offered me to either become a junior programmer in COBOL and go to a bank or they had an opening for a network operations person, which 
very quickly became network operations and security. And so my first job was on Wall Street and mostly doing network security for a new operations center. And then I moved out to Los Angeles where I worked for TRW Space and Defense uh, also, and that was completely network security. So my first two positions were in network security. <laughs> and then when I mm -hmm. moved to Tel Aviv, I started working for their PTT, uh, Bezek, and that was also in the area of, you know, of network security. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah, the parallels, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I definitely understand, you know, how that would then take you, you know, into the other areas that you've gotten involved with and, and you know, the, the mindset that you have. Incredible. So uh, I'm curious, what motivated you to, to pursue a career in cybersecurity? I mean, you mentioned some of the things just now, but I'm curious to hear more. And more specifically, what are the two or three aspects of the industry that really ignite your enthusiasm the most? So I'd say the first is the variety. So it is the ability for you to take a cybersecurity solution and apply it to different types of organizations and different types of industries. It is truly a cultural you know, problem if you think about it. There are certain companies that are compliance driven. There are certain companies that are focused on innovation. There are certain companies that are risk averse. There are folks that sort of view security as a sort of checkbox exercise. Every one of these aspects of working on cyber projects gives you, I almost, you know, equate it to sort of medicine where all our bodies are similar but yet different. We each have our, you know, own diagnosis and the ability for somebody to treat us gives us the satisfaction that you are able to apply and solve a challenge, but then it is not monotonous where it's not like, okay, I do the same thing every day and I position the same solution or I you know, look at the same network. And I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, when I first joined AT&T, you know, this was about uh, 13 years ago, and I was, I was told, offered an invitation to come and take a look at the Global Network Operations Center. And by the time I'd already had about you know, another dozen years of experience, and my first you know, thing was, you know, I've seen so many network infrastructures. I don't know, like, what am I going to see differently? Right? Uh, I've seen so many of them now and across verticals. And I will tell you this, this is a field when I did take the tour. It is amazing to think of the type of data a provider like AT&T would see. And it is fascinating, and I'm geeking out here, the you know terabytes and petabytes of data that we talk about, the ability for you to look at patterns and look at big data patterns, even before that was a word, you know, ATD has been doing it much before that, and to be able to draw inferences about how you know network traffic is sort of your first indicator of a larger, you know, data breach or a spike in traffic can be your indicator of compromise and how you're able to uh, sort of piece together data to be able to draw patterns, to be able to draw inferences from it, work up solutions and test it out in real time for you to actually apply it in, you know, a situation across a certain type of customer, right? So the other 
you know that was point number 1 the variety the ability to be able to use the knowledge and learn from it there is not a day in this field where i felt like i know everything right like this is it right i've i've reached the peak of my career and i have understood all of it and there is not something that is exciting or motivating you know for me to go grasp and learn that's not happened yet and i feel that's saying a lot in a field which is right. so broad it really helps you to also understand sort of the perspectives of different people that play a part in this field so if you talk to a product owner versus a you know a risk management person versus a network analyst versus the person that's writing code each of them has a different viewpoint when it comes to security and how they would attribute the value of security to their organization and that the ability for me to interact with different types of customers with different types of decision makers with folks that have you know parallel experience as well as unique ways that they have approached a problem that is another reason that motivated me to you know sort of i i came upon it by chance but the reason i stuck to it was all of these factors where the ability for a field to be technology but at the same time have that interplay between business risk and technology there are very few fields that you can say that have that and this is one of those i love it yeah we we see it all the time and also the you know you mentioned the, the various different groups and i was explaining earlier to our team that when you think about it if you if you're looking at a device or a product you know what even in an application system and you discover a vulnerability it takes the entire organization or the entire organization is affected by it often because everything from change management back to the development cycle quality compliance the cyber teams the security teams and then of course management wants to understand what kind of risk is involved in potentially delaying a product or service or you know having to up- upgrade uh, an application it really it really can affect the entire organization and so i think you're 100% right about that yeah and you know if you like i remember early on you know i was talking to like in, initially when we talk about cybersecurity we would always have to talk about the roi associated with it right and uh, if you think about in the cyber space as long as everything is going right nobody's talking about a security program yep but the moment a breach happens there is that raised level of visibility and suddenly it's that security team's problem they didn't do something right right and this is truly one of those areas where we actually flaunt and publicize the victim right so mm. we talk about the person who's been breached versus you know the attacker right right and this is this is a complex you know area right where you know you talk to security teams I have never come across a security team that says, you know what, sufficiently staffed. I have enough people. I have all the tools needed. And, yep. you know, it's a great, you know, like work life <laughs> balance, right? You don't see it. Uh but at the same time, you think about when we ask for funding for security projects. Right. You know, the first question asked is what is the ROI, right? Tell me what exactly is this preventing right 
And can you answer this question that this breach won't happen to us? Right? So, you know, when, uh, when I was having a conversation early on in my career with a healthcare CIO, and I had to talk about, you know, why they should invest in security. And he said to me, hospital bed versus patch management, mm. hospital bed. That's what I have to spend my money on, not patch management. But fast forward, you know, like a dozen years later, if the hospital's mission is to provide quality patient care, then those devices and technology and connectivity that they're using for it has to be secure because today we know one of these systems going down, one of these systems being manipulated could compromise the quality of care. So when we talk about how security is truly related to your functioning as an organization, there's really no argument about how the tie-up is there, right? So we really do need to think about it as part of safety versus a technology issue. Yep, you're 100% right. So Bindu, are you currently involved in any captivating new projects? Uh, how do you envision these endeavors to benefit people as you were just talking about? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the areas of services that I lead is called Cyber as a Service. So this is something where we are offering security consulting and talent on demand that is platform enabled for organizations. So this came about during COVID where there was a significant transformations happening for organizations in terms of, you know, digital movement. And then we saw that there was a skills gap. We saw there are organizations seeking security skill set, but they didn't have the ability to go hire full-time folks or, you know, they had people, but then they were, you know, busy with other projects. And, you know, one of the things that you know, one of our customers brought this to us saying, you know, there are so many things in today's you know, space that I can consume on demand as a service without, you know, having to just hire full time. I wonder why security is not one of those things. Why do I have to give up either in its full entirety for you to manage, or why do I have to hire a full-fledged team 24-7 in-house? Can't there be like a happy medium? So we came up with what is called the cyber as a service, and those are you know pretty much the you know sort of top types of projects that I work on, where we have the ability for customers to consume talent on demand for the types of skills that they need. For example, let's say you're a retailer and you have truly embraced omnichannel, and you have you know different types of you know payments that you're accepting. And your current project is to be getting ready for, let's say, payment card industry compliance updated standards. But your team is already slammed with other projects that they have on their plate with deliverables to meet. So you want somebody that can take lead and act as a virtual advisor for you and come up with a roadmap, come up with a plan, and also a team that can get those projects done, working collaboratively with the client's team, but at the same time, bringing in expertise 
whether it is cloud related whether it is you know ot related whether it is uh, you know payment card industry specific related uh, items you can actually get a team on demand to help work through this and you pay from a monthly subscription point of view where you're truly paying for what you're using you get the choice of talent because you have consultants that have worked in similar projects that bring that collective experience to the table and you don't have to worry about your full time hire and you know keeping taking care of attrition and making sure that they're satisfied you know with their job in the current organization so this is you know one of the new models the other thing that we have is um, you know what is exciting is the whole sort of proactive side of incident response you know you hear a lot about breach response and you hear hear a lot about you know walking in to save the day post breach but we are truly seeing organizations with the raised awareness of being able to do some proactive incident planning exercises whether it is tabletop scenarios whether it is taking a look at their incident response plan making sure it's tied into their business continuity plans it is tied into their communications plans it really reflects what their network infrastructure looks like today post covid and how you know they've they're now consuming let's say new third parties and services or they've transformed their infrastructure they could be more in the cloud than they were before in terms of whether on prem versus cloud and how all these changes that are part of their transformation actually plays a part in at the point where let's say they experience a breach and you know we know that that's not an inevit it's almost an inevitable right it's it's going to happen we just don't know when and when it does happen all this planning that you've done where you've done your tabletop where you've reviewed your plan where you've done the foundational fundamental elements of you know vulnerability management patch management making sure that you've tested your plan not just with the IT team but truly a representation of the different people on your security as well as non security teams this includes hr legal you know procurement all of these you know representatives it truly shows how that response time definitely changes and it's a positive impact where you're able to recover quickly so in terms of exciting projects you know these are the types of projects that we're working on different types of organizations from you know sort of a medium sized manufacturing organization to a large sized healthcare organization you know different uh, operating models different uh, i would say different infrastructure setup different security or team organizations but the common business outcome I think it's so so important because you know today there is such a, a shortage of good cyber people that and organizations they don't want to become cyber experts they want to be able to you know to work with external uh, providers of services so I think it's a great idea I'm curious about something specific uh, Bindu you mentioned before um, the rise in connectivity in general in our lives and that happens of course also in the worlds of of uh, products and and devices physical products and devices so I, i'm i'm interested with the increasing interconnectivity of of these products and devices uh, specifically in telecom the cyber threat landscape obviously is growing 
So in your opinion, how should manufacturers and, and their customers prepare themselves to, to maximize cyber resilience in that reality? Yeah, and that's a great question, right? So most of the cyber challenges we see and uncover is because somewhere along the line, security by design was not incorporated and also the accountability and the responsibility, right? There is no clear definition of who is actually responsible for security. You, you have a device, and you know you've manufactured it i bought it and it's really doing its functionality but from a security point of view let's say you don't have the ability to patch this system let's say you have you know bugs and holes that are being uncovered is it is it the user's job to make sure that this is fixed and sometimes it's even a visibility and awareness issue. You know, there are so many devices, especially OT devices that are within organizations that are not even included as part of asset inventory. So if you don't know that something exists, how are you going to secure it? Right? And, we, and, you know, fundamentally, with connectivity as well as with the ability for us to glean data and use it in different ways, we, I think, sort of took that rapid transformation mode overnight. Like what was planned to be, let's say, a three years uh, rollout was ramped up during COVID and we've all embraced it, right? So think about the restaurant that you, you know, walk in your neighborhood and that is using a QR code menu. They're still using it. It's not gone away. So every type of technology acceleration that we went through, the fact that from a product standpoint, there is the rush to get the product out the door and how nobody wants to pay for security extra. They want it built in. They want you know the cost of the product to be affordable. And we have somewhere along the line made security sort of a bolt-on versus by design. So the best way to fix this is to focus back on the fundamentals of security by design principles versus the bolt-on. Mm, interesting. Right. Very interesting. Shifting left as much as possible. Yeah. Shifting left is the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Then the question becomes uh, shifting left just within your organization or way into your supply chain, which is something that we're we're beginning to see companies doing now is really making sure that the components, the devices, the the systems that they're receiving from their supply chain um, have also undergone cybersecurity checks before they actually bring them into the organization. Yeah, and that's a great point, right? I think we have to secure our whole value chain, right? right. End to end. And I feel like, you know, this would apply to every type of organization and we can't hide behind uh, sort of contracts or, you know, check boxes when it comes to third-party risk management, right? right. Uh, I think we should be way past that, but unfortunately, you know, we still have organizations viewing, you know, supply chain security and third-party risk as uh, Excel spreadsheet exercise versus mm. truly thinking about, hey, this could actually break your entire security controls and program because of one third party. Yep. And, mm. and we seem to take it, you know, sort of, I already have my own security challenges and not enough uh, money to deal with it. 
and I'll get to supply chain security after I'm done with my current list of, list of projects. But the problem there is everybody in this entire value chain is thinking about it that way, which is why unless we make a whole industry shift and definitely the numbers are convincing where there is a need for us to focus on supply chain resilience and really, you know, integrating security throughout the build cycle rather than the end, right? So, so I feel like it's that feeling where shifting left and making sure that we can constantly keep up with this changing threat landscape is a must across our entire industry and how we approach any product design today. And you may think that this product, what does a malicious actor have to do with this or how is this going to be uh, you know, a problem? Again, it you have not designed the functionality with security in mind which is exactly what somebody is looking to crack. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I, I think if we all, and this is truly a consumer level awareness, you know, so do we question like light bulbs in our house or the building codes? Do we skimp on those when we are building our house? Would we just say, it's okay, don't worry about the fire safety hazard. Mm. Let's just, you know, put up a wall, right? Because we want it. No, right? Fundamentally, it's an industry that's established standards and we follow it. It's interesting also, you know, uh, in the position that you're in, your success is greatly um, influenced by the people who are trying to hack into your systems. So, you know, it's, you can do the best job possible putting up, you know, the, um, the cyber secure walls. <laughs> you can put up the best, yeah. you know, put in the best equipment, the best software, the best firewalls, the best systems for undercover, you know, uncovering vulnerabilities. And then you have to be concerned with the people who you don't even know who they are, who are working 724 to try to get in. So on, on that note, maybe you can give us an idea, um, if you can, if you can recount one of the incidents uh, involving a cybersecurity breach that you successfully resolved or prevented. And what were the key lessons that you learned from that experience? Yeah, you know, I will say this. I, I'm just going to give you like a quick recap of everything from 2022 in terms of the types of breaches and lessons learned. So the fundamental backdrop I'd make in this case is we have this uh, view that the more products and tools that we have, the better off we are from a security standpoint, right? Most of the breached organizations that I have been part of and worked with don't have a, a lack of tools. They have it. The fundamentals were the ones that are broken, right? So you will have tools, but you're not actively monitoring and you know doing anything with the data. Or you'll have tools that don't feed data and give you an integrated risk view. You'll have logs that don't feed into the SIM. You'll have alerts from the SIM that are not actioned. You have not tested your backup. You have end-of-life systems that you have not patched. It is just that one FTP server or that one exchange server that you have not patched, or it is that one default password that you're using on one of your network devices, or it's that one user that you've given extended privileged management 
that is usually you know the signs that you're not viewing security controls programmatically within your organization it's those one offs that cause the breaches to happen and whether we like it or not the business email compromise phishing type of attacks through social engineering that's still the most prevalent and common and you think how can this be a problem right we've been saying this for years don't click on malicious links and you know why is this a uh, hassle but the thing is it is key that you know we need to think about you know all of these email links that you're clicking on this is no longer the nigerian prince or something with a spelling mistake that you can spot and hover over this is a truly commoditized industry that is attacking individuals within organizations with careful planning through social engineering and the security awareness training programs that most organizations do are not sticky enough for the threats of today and so i would say you know have segmentation don't have a flat network fundamental most of the exploited vulnerabilities are not zero days which means that if you have a risk based vulnerability management program and you're following a good patch management life cycle and you have an accurate asset inventory so keep in mind the malicious actor is not going to be kind enough to only pick on the assets that you have as part of your vulnerability management program right they're going to really pick on every type of asset that is out there whether it is your saas application your you know on prem device your you know cloud assets that you have accurate asset inventory is key if you walked in if there are five things that i would do today as part of sort of uh, let's say a summer you know clean up checklist is make sure you have network segmentation make sure you test your backups make sure you have a vulnerability management program in place at least get an annual penetration testing done and don't skimp on the scope i have seen several organizations that say yeah we conducted a pen test but on these five assets how did you come up with those five assets oh those were the ones that we needed to you know be do it for compliance right if you have the fundamentals right there will always be a vulnerability that can get exploited but it is for the ability for you to pick up on that breach and to be able to respond to it versus having the malicious actor sit on your network for 140 days and you don't find out and you learned about you know your data on the dark web from a third party that is the problem right so if you're able to take care of some of these sort of basics you are you know you're making progress in your security posture and keep in mind that instead of thinking about your user as the weakest link think about them as your strongest asset that you can make them to be right even when your security control fails if the human can pick it up then you'll be fine you know if you walk into a room and ask who is responsible for security you don't want the sole cso or a couple of it folks that do security raise their hand 
you want the user to be invested in the security of your organization. They have a part to play. You know, when we talk to organizations and ask them, oh, how are you doing your, you know, phishing testing and how are you reinforcing security practices? So the fundamental thing is, if I'm an end user and I'm afraid to tell you that I clicked on the wrong link, if I'm afraid to tell you that I, you know, clicked on a message on my phone that said a UPS parcel is waiting for me, or if I'm afraid to tell you that my Netflix password was to be changed and I got that message and I clicked on it, right? If I'm afraid to tell you that as a security team, then obviously you're not really relaying the importance of security awareness and the function that the user can play without just sort of scaring them, right? Now, now everybody's like, oh no, I better not tell them I clicked on this. Right. And then it goes unnoticed. It's lingering on your network. You have folks that could have helped you respond quicker, but they were just scared then. And then sometimes we also forget this. If you are a you know, person that does cybersecurity for a living, you're partially paranoid. You, you know this about yourself, right? You are suspicious <laughs> of every transaction and you are, you know, double checking everything. But keep in mind, this could be somebody in procurement and it is their job to open a document that says invoice. Right. right? right. So they are not going to be suspicious of it, right? But when they're being asked to change payment information, when they're being asked to do things urgently or rushed, it should raise a red flag and they should feel totally comfortable checking. Right? Ab- Empower absolutely. them. Make them your asset. Absolutely. You're right. You're 100% right. So, Bindu, I want to go back to another personal question, if that's okay. Of course. So, what has been the most remarkable or astonishing moment in your career so far? Astonishing moment in my career. Okay. Uh, I would have to say when uh, I actually won the Woman of Color Award, it's a peer-reviewed award. I was pleasantly surprised. It was a stiff competition in terms of the number of people that were nominated for it, as well as like I'm in awe of a lot of those folks. And to see that my name was there amongst wow, them that's um, incredible. is definitely... <laughs> You know, these are people like I look up to, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh wow, I'm there, <laughs> right? And you know, and it was uh, pretty cool to you know win it. So wow, congratulate! That was a long time ago because you must be due for a new one now. If not, if it was, <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't be um, you know overly <laughs> grabby, but this was in 2021, so I'll probably oh. give it you know one more year, and then maybe next year again. Oh, that'd so. be great! Amazing. So I, I think it's a. Uh... First of all, yeah, congratulations. And I think it's the perfect segue to our last question, which is what advice would you give uh, to fellow professionals and particularly women who aspire to enter the field of cybersecurity and advance their careers? Uh, First thing is, I'd say, be open to opportunities and network, right? Find other, especially women that are in this field and uh, don't fall for stereotypes. Like I remember when I said to somebody early on, oh, I'm, you know, doing cybersecurity. 
And the reaction was, so you're like a hacker. Like, so you sit in a sort of like a garage with a hoodie and work on a, on projects, right? So the perception that cybersecurity equates to a bad or malicious actor and the next step of it being a geeky field without a social element or a presence right. is wrong. And I think, yes, you do have to like problem solving, you have to thrive under crisis, and you have to really stay up to date. You know, there is a new vulnerability almost every second, and there are different types of, uh, there's no, like I said, there's no pause on the learning aspect. But this field has applications from several fields. You could be a math major, you could be a psychology major, you know, you could be somebody in computer science, you could be somebody that is completely not interested in the coding element, but you could still find a spot in cybersecurity. And this is like I said, you know, whether you're trying to pursue law in cyber or you're trying to pursue AI in cyber, you know, there are so many opportunities in this space. And you know, I, I am happy to say this. We have made progress and we have, there used to be a time when I would just be the only woman in a room full of like 40 folks that are attending, wow. let's say, a cyber you know, conference or a meeting. And it was awkward because while everybody, you know, is sort of walking, let's say, post the session uh, for lunch and you'll be the only one that's going to the ladies room. Right. Everybody's going in a different direction. Right. But things have changed. Right. There there is definitely a better representation. We need to do more. And I have to say that it's not against the men. Right. Like we are not standing up in opposition. So I would say a lot of, you know, my mentors and sponsors have been some amazing individuals who are not female. Right. And that's helped also to know that a male counterpart is supporting me in my endeavor to, you know, rise up in cybersecurity. Right. Right. So I'd say advice, take the opportunity. Don't be scared and don't be afraid of failing either. Like I've, I've felt that uh, there are times when, you know, wanting to be a perfectionist, wanting to sort of be detail oriented, you're afraid to take that chance, right? So don't be risk averse and take the opportunity. And what's the worst that can happen? You know, if you fail at it, it would still be a lesson that you learned from it that you'll apply later. So it's okay, you know, to not have every opportunity go the way you think it should go or you expect it to go, just be open to taking that chance. And don't say no to opportunities given to you, even if they're not exactly in the form and shape and title or space that you exactly envision. And use every one of these opportunities as a learning tool, right? And I, one of my mentors said this to me early on, you take the opportunity, you give it your best. Don't worry about the result or the outcome. Whatever the outcome may be, it'll still be your best outcome in terms right. of learning. Right. What else could we say really? <laughs> Except thank you. <laughs> First of all, I must say your your passion for this topic of, of cybersecurity is is simply contagious. So it's 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 uh, <laughs> amazing to be around that. First and foremost, and beyond that, I really want to thank you for for the 
uh, insights, both the professional ones and the personal ones. Uh, it was uh, incredible. So thank you. I had a great time. Thank you again for having me and indulging in all of these anecdotes that I shared. I truly appreciate it. Bindu, it's, it's really been very interesting and you have an incredible background. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we have to chat more, you know, with your background and the parallels we have. You know, I'm Absolutely. sure our paths will cross again. Either, either here or maybe in Chennai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.